Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Now we're in the book of Colossians. We're going to jump into the sermon. I want to introduce my partner today is Pastor Cheryl Thomas. She's actually going to help me preach. Isn't that awesome? Well, we're going to kind of we're going to kind of talk together. So it's going to kind of be like announcements on steroids. So something like that. All right. Except we'll try and be a bit more serious. Well, yes, of course, exactly. Yes. So let me, do, let me do a quick little recap really fast. We got Epaphras. This fellow went to uh, Colossae. He started a church. Apostle Paul was never even there, never even been to this church. So, I mean, he went to this church, and I'm not sure I can do the sit thing, Cheryl. I might have to stand beside you. I'll sit down when you, when you start talking. It's harder to hit a moving object. So, Epaphras working Colossae, took the gospel of Christ. That's at risk. Now, he's concerned because the good news of the gospel, there's a problem there. I mean, there's, there's other philosophies, other, other doctrines popping up that are, are going to water down and mess up the gospel. So Paul sends them a letter, and that's what this letter is all about, to make sure they stay centered in the truth. And he made great deal, a big assertion about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Christ is supreme over all, and because he's supreme over all, every single thing, he is also sufficient in every way to bring about his desire and his good news in your life. So that's what this is all about. So he had to deal with a whole bunch of false teachings, a whole bunch of other things, but God wanted himself to share and make it clear that he's fully able to qualify you as saints. Amen. Amen. So any saints here today? Cheers. You're all saints, and you're all qualified as saints because he made it so. Colossians 1, 28, 29 said, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. That's his object. He wants perfect, teleos, brought to an end, finished, wanting nothing, necessary to completeness, perfect, full-grown adult, to the full age, mature. So Paul wants that gospel and the manifestation of it to manifest full maturity in your life. Then he goes on in chapter 2, 9 to 10, for in Christ... Where? In Christ, in your effort, in your behavior, in your striving. No, in Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, in human body, so that you are complete through your union with him. You are complete through your union with him. When you become united with Christ, when you accept him, you're born from above, you become one spirit with him. When you are one with Christ, who is the head over every rule and every authority, you are complete. You're complete how? You're complete through your effort. You're complete through Bible study. You're complete through gobs and gobs of prayer. No, you are complete through your union with him. Say union. union. Did anybody here realize completeness? See, when you become a believer, you literally, you are complete through your union with him. Are you always manifesting the full revelation and understanding an expression of that fullness? No. Nonetheless, the fullness doesn't come by you striving. The fullness comes by you unpacking the reality of what already is. If you don't understand that it already is, you're going to pursue a different track to completeness. The only track to completeness, he said, is to reckon yourself dead, buried, and risen with Christ. You are hidden in Christ, and it all comes into manifestation because of your union with him. And when it's not manifesting, go back to the start. I am crucified with Christ. And that's how you get it manifest in your life. It's such a good gospel. Isn't it a good gospel? Yes, honey, it's a good gospel. Fantastic. You're doing a good job so far. All right. So Paul's pattern of writing, we talked a few weeks ago, because when we went from chapter 2 to chapter 3, we stepped into a transition, and there's an amazing, stark transition to chapter 3. If you start preaching chapter 3 without 1 and 2, you could create a lot of problems for people. So Paul always teaches indicative imperative, theology, ethics, doctrine, duty, position, practice, belief, behavior, freedom, responsibility in Christ and in the Lord. These are all the ways that Paul teaches. It's always the one side first, and there's a, those are all ways of saying it. This is my favorite way of saying it. I don't want to freak you out, but you should really embrace this. The first part is good news. The second part is good advice. And I'm going to show you that today, that it's, it's some good advice. Because some of the things that were good advice back then are not even relevant today. 
And we need to understand that. And when we go to the Bible, we got to approach it and we've got to interpret it in the context and the culture of the day. Can I get amen? amen? Wow, that was fantastic. So we've actually reached a text. Are you ready? We've reached the text. I got a little video I just want to show you just to, just to help us enter into where we are today. So that was the kiss cam at an actual Bulls game. And, uh, you know, there was obviously a guy that was so caught up in his own little world that he didn't even recognize he had a great opportunity to show he cared, you know. And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, relationships and husbands and wives today. So we want to do that a little bit better, right? Right, all right. So I actually had a, a friend whose wife sent his wife away to Paris, which was really cool. And uh, when uh, she got to Paris, she just called back to say, look, just want you to know we're here safely and everything's okay. But he said, you know what? I got to tell you, the cat died. And uh, so she went, unbelievable. I just got here. I get seven more days in Paris. And the first thing you tell me is the cat dies. You could have just said the cat's on the roof. You could have said the cat's in the basement. The next day you could have said, ah, cat's in the tree. I mean, you could have just said other things. You could have let me know something devastating when I got home. You didn't have to ruin my whole holiday. So she said, by the way, how's my mom? I said, she's on the roof. That actually, I didn't have a friend do that, but I thought it was such a good story. So good. Hey, let me read the text for today, okay? It's in Colossians chapter 3, and it's uh, verses 18 and then chapter 4, verse 1. That says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Good to put the own in there. Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Like when you're on the kiss cam, you know, pay attention. All right? Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Good stuff. Bond servants, slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, how many know that would fall in the realm of maybe good advice in a culture that was still dealing with some issues but completely irrelevant today? We've got some serious stuff going down in the States where they're tearing statues down, all kinds of things. And if we were to say, well, the Bible says, you know, there's some people who when slavery was still around, they would use texts like this to defend their place and their, their standing in this whole thing. But it's utter nonsense. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive reward of an inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid. What is he saying there? It's in the context. If you've got a master who's a real idiot and a real moron who's really abusing people, God's watching. And everyone who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just. You have to understand, in that culture, when he said that, because in their culture, in Rome, if I wanted to kill one of my slaves, nobody would question that. It's mine to do. It's my right because it's just an object. It's just something I own. Nobody would question you if you did that because you're totally legally to do that. For Paul to write something and send it out in the Roman Empire for everybody to read when he says, you'll be held accountable for every wrong you do, that was countercultural. Every single person without partiality. Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there we go. That's the text for today. So we got to give some context for that. We got to give some background for that, right? Because there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of commands there. There's a lot of even in evangelical circles that they, they do whole marriage courses and family courses based on these texts, but they don't contextualize them and therefore draw some creepy conclusions about sometimes what these things mean. How are you? Good. All right. Look at this. A couple more things. The teachings of the early church were a challenge to the authority of Rome. Romans were looking for an excuse to any excuse, sorry, to any excuse, sorry, I have excise in there, but any excuse to imprison Christians, an open challenge to the household code of the day would have exposed the early church to even greater scrutiny. So what I'm saying is there was an understood household code of the day. There really was. And when Paul used that code and when he put it in Ephesians, and he put it in Colossians, and then Peter again used it in Philippians. They were using the code of the day. They were using, this is how our culture works. And inside of that culture, here's some ways that we can still in the culture, still honor the Lord in it. So we have to embrace those instructions in the context, but also in the Lord. How am I doing so far? Good. What do you got to say? 
I'm doing good? Man, it's so, so good to have you here encouraging me like that. So that's good. All right, so uh, have you heard of patrifamilias? You've heard that phrase? Patrifamilias was the way they did things in Rome. In Rome, the oldest living male in the household exercised absolute autocratic authority. Absolute autocratic authority over his extended family. The term is Latin for father of the family or owner of the family estate. And the patrifamilias always had to be a Roman citizen. So in Rome, and they believe that this is, you've heard the word uh, pas romas, which was the peace of our culture, the peace of Rome. They believe that the fact that they honored this order and this structure in government and in every aspect of society because they honored this hierarchical authority structure, it kept Rome in peace. Now, some folks in the church have taken some of that household code of the day that that Paul took and he put a whole spin on it, interpreted it and added to it in a whole different way. Like even saying, you know, masters, be good to your slaves. I mean, God's watching you. That's a massive add-on to what was going on in their culture because their culture said, he's the slave, you're the master, who cares? But when Paul would sit there and masters were in front of them and he's saying, be careful how you treat those people. Wow. And then saying to slaves, no matter what the master does, you're not serving him, you're serving the Lord and serve him as the Lord. These are real remixes and respins on the gospel. So part of the confusion was you had this completely liberated community, uh, a liberated community trying to live under Pax Roma, trying to uphold the Roman peace and uphold the Roman household or Roman Greco household codes. And Paul preached an unapologetic message of there's no more Jew, no more Gentile, no more slave, no more free, no more male, no more female. There was no categories. There was no distinctions between mankind and humankind. And so the church or even the communities were in utter, well, not confusion, but, you know, how do I now as a non-slave or as a free person or as a child of God live inside this Pax Aroma and this Roman Greco culture? Because Paul's message was such a radical, radical shift, a radical turn. So uh, Rachel Held Evans, she said, Aristotle wrote that the smallest and primary parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. This is where it came from. First century philosophers Phileo and Josephus included the household codes in all of their writings as well, arguing that a man's authority over his household was critical to the success of society. Many Roman officials believed that the household codes were part of the important part of Pax Romana and they passed these laws ensuring its protection. Now, Colossians 3, which we uh, read earlier, Colossians 3, 9, 11 says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who's renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, there is neither barbarian nor Scythian, there's neither slave nor free, for all, for Christ is all and in all. So here's Paul saying, there's no slave or free, there's no Greek, there's no Jew. And then all of a sudden, he says, there's, 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 but there are hierarchies, there are structures. Now, are there hierarchies in our culture as we see them, or are these biblical doctrinal hierarchies? That's what we have to ask ourselves, because you just said boldly that everybody is in Christ, and Christ is in all. And then in Paul's very first letter that he wrote in Galatians, here's what he said first letter that he wrote, the first letter that he sent out to be read, Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are coming and listening and at the edge of some circle and listening to somebody teach and, and you're a slave or, or you're a woman in that culture, somebody is teaching you a message that is bringing you hope that I can actually rise up, I can free myself of the oppression that I'm experiencing, and this is really, really good news to me. Can you get that? Do you get that? So, so you got a, you got a, a slave bringing another slave. You got to come hear this guy speak. Now, Paul, if there's Romans or Roman authorities that heard Paul or got a copy of that letter, they'd be saying, we got to watch these Christian people. They are teaching a countercultural message here. We've got to keep our eye on them. Literally, the one guy said, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, no difference between men and women. There's no difference between, you know, slaves and masters. We got to keep an eye on these guys because we believe Pax Roma is because of our household code. They are subverting how we believe culture will run properly. And it wouldn't have been just the Roman culture who would have been opposed this kind of teaching. It would have been the Jewish um, priests and scribes and Pharisees who would have been opposed to that kind of teaching as yes. well. Yeah, 
Because that was the way. Because the status of women, where women were viewed in the Old Testament as uh, sexual predators, as untrustworthy, um, women deserve special punishment for the same crimes that men would have done. An unmarried woman was not allowed to leave her home without permission of her father. A married woman wasn't allowed to leave home without permission of her husband. They were uh, relegated to roles of little authority or no authority. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't appear in public places. They weren't allowed to talk to strangers. And they had to be doubly veiled when they left their home. And they were barely the status above a slave. So wow. when Paul's teaching neither male nor female, he's not only disturbing the Pax Roma, but he's disturbing the code for uh, Jews, the Jews Greeks, as well. The whole thing. So he, he's, you got to imagine there's a little bit of enthusiasm popping up in people's hearts when Paul says there's a God who has redeemed you and he's for you. And not only that, he's going to set you free from all of these constructs that keep you in bondage. All of these cultural things that have boxed you in and hindered you from being the real you. There's no male nor female. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. All are one in Christ. You have to imagine there's a little bit of enthusiasm jumping up in a few hearts. And that's it wasn't not in, just Paul who taught no, this because Jesus yeah, taught this. Jesus he said, if you want to be great, you need to be the servant of all. Yes, he did. And, and you should have read the notes because we're going to that. Okay, no, never mind. <laughs> Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Here's Paul. 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 Here's Paul. Ready? Here's what Paul's saying. Let this mind be in you or let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man, dying a death, even the death of the cross. So here you have Paul teaching that the way up is down, that the attitude we should have, God Almighty did not come and give a massive authority trip. He didn't come and say, I'm the boss, pay attention. The one who was the king of glory came and he served mankind. And he said, that is the kingdom attitude. That is the way that the kingdom operates. If the one who created it all, this is how he operates among us, then we should all have the same mind and the same attitude towards one another, except in marriage. I got different rules for that. Do you see how weird that is? That you've said all of these things, and then all of a sudden he says, women, submit to your husbands as in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And see, people, you know, that doesn't sound that bad if you understand the context. But people take it out of context, and they've made submission a nasty, ugly word, and they basically made it hierarchical and said, just like it's always been, man is the boss of the home, and woman, you got to stay in your spot. It's horrible stuff. So you got to... Go, how did Paul turn this corner where he went, we're all one in Christ to suddenly establishing this hierarchy? Why do you think he did that? Why would he do that? I'm confused now because I had this freedom in my heart and yet now I see this code of hierarchy and I feel oppressed. Well, he did it because of the culture they were in. He did it because, hey folks, you know, uh, Careful with your liberty and your freedom. I know it's an awesome, really, really good news. But the mix was that, you know, wives, do honor your husbands, but do it in the Lord. Do it as under the Lord. Do it in the Lord. Don't do it as some duty to a culture. Do it as a person who has that same attitude of Jesus, a completely different instruction. Husbands, love your wives. In their culture, a husband loving your wife was ridiculous. My wife literally is, in, in, there's a, there, in the teaching of rabbinical code, it says if you've got to choose between your cow and your wife, choose the cow. A wife could not even give testimony, like Cheryl said, in court because they were considered untrustworthy. And suddenly, here, here is Paul saying, husbands, love your wives. And Ephesians said, as Christ loved the church. Whoa, what a ridiculous standard that is. So you see that he wasn't establishing a hierarchy, but within a hierarchical culture where they had those things, he was remixing it and putting a gospel spin and manifestation on how it works in Christ and how it works in the kingdom. Okay, settle down. We have to, we have to keep going. Okay, so Nathan uh, Cole... Uh, yeah, I can't even pronounce his last name. Can you? It's uh, Calhoun. I think it's Calhoun. It's, uh, he says this. He's actually out of Sarnia. His name. He says, Paul is un unapologetic. He claims over and over again the kingdom of God works different. It wrecks havoc on the regular way of doing relationship. Enough of this hierarchy-based trick uh, strictly in a human category. How about this? We are human and we are in Christ and that is it. 
It's good stuff. Now, Walsh and Kismet, this was a book, they wrote a book, uh, a whole study on Colossians called Colossians Remixed. Here's what they said. They said, this is not a narrative that imposes a series of absolutes to oppress us. It's a story of liberation from the empire that would take captive our imagination while it rapes and plunders the earth. This is a story of restored relationships, a love story that calls forth an alternative community characterized by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, gratitude, and wisdom. It's good stuff, isn't it? How'd I do, honey? I think I actually moved ahead to two pages. No, I didn't. I'm good. So number one, number one, we reject slavery in all of its forms. Amen? So take your Apple phone and throw it away. Because those phones were made in China by people working 16-hour days for very, very little pay. And if you don't think that's slavery, you should go pick up one of those jobs. And a lot of them are, are young women, very, very young, with little hands so they can do all the detailed work. So, you hypocrite, you have an Apple phone, Pastor. I do, and an Apple computer and an Apple iPad. But you know, when you think about it, you say, well, that doesn't relate to us today. But you know what? There still is massive slavery today. There's sex slavery today. There's trafficking today. There's people today who still treat other people like objects and still do those things. And we should pray against that, come against that, and in every form say it's disgusting. Can I get an amen? And we would agree that we are appalled by that. But when Paul links slavery to the household codes, how is it we're not appalled by that? Yeah, that is interesting. So if, if we take in context, he puts husbands over wives, fathers over their children, fathers over the complete household, and then we want to take that bottom part and say that is obnoxious, that is obtuse, that is horrible, I want to throw it out. And yet we want to keep the other parts as still relevant today. I'm not sure you can properly do that. It's without, not consistent. It's not consistent. It's a poor hermeneutic, it's a poor exegesis, mm -hmm. it's poor study of the Bible. And yet so much of it is done. And if you go, if you go to bookstores and go on, even on the websites and pull up, you know, Christian marriage, you'll find all kinds of courses that are based on a hierarchical structure in marriage, which they are taking from and embracing from a culture that was 2,000 years ago. And so many times, um, and we'll define this later, those of us who would believe in egalitarian relationships are criticized by the traditional, traditionalist view that um, we're allowing culture to speak to how we you know, address household relationships and relationships. And they forget, traditionalists, that they've embraced a cultural standard of a Greco-Roman culture from 2,000 years ago and have applied it to us all today. True. So they're willing to embrace a cultural code from Greco-Roman culture and accuse us of embracing our cultural codes for today. Yeah, people who say that you're shifting, you're changing things, we're not changing things, we're actually trying to bring it to what's right. Because the people who are misinterpreting that are bringing a 2,000 year ago culture into today and saying that that culture is relevant to now, which is absurd. How's that? How many are still tracking with me? And, and if we're going to embrace that, then we might as well embrace the part of the Bible that says when women are on their menstrual cycle, leave the city for a week, hallelujah. You know what I mean? Like, how can we embrace one part of it and then totally discard the rest that's not comfortable it's or, true. you know, relevant for us I was, today? I was at a pastor's conference in Kuala Lumpur, and we had uh, pastors from all over the world came. We had it there because we thought it was easier for them to get there. But we had one pastor from South Africa who stood up, and it's a fellow from, you know, the black congregations of South Africa, and he said, uh, do you folks let women who are on their menstrual cycle take communion? And a whole bunch of the room just started to laugh. They went, what are you talking about? You know, but one of the pastors stood up and said, stop it. You know, those are rules that they didn't get themselves. We gave them to them. Our, our old forefathers who came from Great Britain went down there and we had crazy nonsense and nobody told them that we decided that was stupid. And nobody told them we've moved on from that and they've stayed there. And if they're still there, it's our fault for not saying we were wrong to have taught you that. And so they had all kinds of crazy stuff. That's like stuff like women shouldn't be in leadership. Women shouldn't, you know, be in roles of authority in the church. Women, you know, I mean, we'd have to get rid of Patricia King. We'd have to get rid of uh, Joyce Meyer, all these other people that stand there and speak and teach to men. These are, these are the verses and passages that, that they have no authority to do this over a man. I mean, there's some magic age when a boy becomes 60 or whatever that suddenly you are unable to gain any wisdom from a woman and so we move you into the adult classes and no women will ever teach you again this is the nonsense that you defend or if you defend this that's the nonsense that you also defend okay that was good wasn't it 
Can't right. you feel the Holy Spirit on this stuff right now? Man, I'm telling you. Number two, children and fathers. This is good stuff. I think it's sound direction for children and fathers that, you know, that it, we would have radically changed families today, and that is a radically changed dynamic for, you know, children obey, your parents obey them in all things, but also it says, fathers, don't provoke your children or exasperate them. So that, that was a, an extra word, a word that, that Paul put on top of that that would not be cultural to them because they, who cares if I provoke my kids? I tell my kids to do whatever I want. In fact, if I don't even like my kid anymore, I can kill him and throw him out of my family. Yeah. So that was a radical remix for their culture. Like Patrifamilius, a father, if it was a, a baby girl born to it, he could throw it over a cliff and be done with it. So you can see that like the whole Patrifamilius and its effect on the culture that day to us would be barbarian. True. And so Paul's trying to um, create an environment where you're living in a barbarian culture and trying to bring some love, compassion, and kindness to that whole culture. A complete remix. Real good stuff. But we focused on the, the hierarchical stuff instead of the remix part, which unfortunately is not good. So the third thing, husbands and wives, right? So Colossians 3, 18 and 19, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And now that's another radical change of the dynamic, dynamic of the day. And uh, it should not be seen as a proof text it should not be seen as a proof text. It should not be seen as a proof text where I get hierarchy in my home. And Paul, earlier on, there's three occasions where he, he combines this household thing, husbands, wives, uh, fathers, children, and slaves, in Peter, in Ephesians, and Colossians. And right before he addresses the whole thing in Ephesians, he says, um, I encourage you to mutually submit one to another. One to another. And so there's this whole idea of mutual submission is the thing that is the foundation of it all. There has to be a mutual honor, a mutual respect, and a mutual submission. So let me look at some other writing of Paul. Here's another writing of Paul. 1 Corinthians 7, 6, and 7. But I say this as a concession and not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as I am, I myself. What's he saying? He says, I wish everybody was single. So there's a command from the Lord. That's my proof text that we should all be single. No more marriages around here. Hallelujah. Because you can. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was a slip. Because <laughs> you can all serve, submit to your husband. Okay. So you can all serve the Lord better if you're not entangled with another relationship. You can devote yourself fully to the Lord. And I wish you were all single. Now you don't hear people preaching that as a text and helps that he said it's a concession, not a commandment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times that Paul said, I say this and not the Lord. And what he's saying is, I'm just throwing out some of my advice that's relevant to the situation right now, mm -hmm. but don't start making doctrine out of this. But so often people make doctrine out of the stuff that wasn't meant to be doctrine. Mm -hmm. All right, so we, we don't agree with singleness. So that's here. not to say that we are challenging no. the inspiration or validity that's of right. Scripture, because uh, everything Jesus said was good, but it wasn't all good for me, because True. I haven't chopped my hand off lately when it's offended me or plucked out my eye or done any of those kind of things. Yeah, if we're all literally following the word, a lot of you people still have two eyeballs, so a lot of you just plain straight up lying. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, okay. And all scripture is inspired, but it doesn't carry equal weight in every situation. And we're not opposed to singleness. True. Did you know over 50% over of our culture are single people now? So single people got to feel like when they come to church, hey, we're celebrated, you know what I mean? It's a good thing. So, right? Any single people in the house? All right, very good. Okay, mm -hmm. good, good. But you know what, Carl just quoted that scripture from Corinthians, and all through the uh, first Corinthians book, you'll see Paul saying, introducing a, a part of the letter going, now about this, now about this, and now about this. So it had come to Paul that there was troubles within the church, and Paul was writing back to address them. In same fashion, he does the same thing in Colossians, Ephesians, and, and the book of Peter. There are things that are going on in the church that Paul needs to take his time, and he needs to address some specific things that are important for that church community. Amen. The teaching of Jesus, Cheryl referred to it earlier, says Matthew 20, 25, 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. So you know that. So he's saying, you know in that culture, they got their hierarchies, they got their authority structures. You know that. And he said, and those who exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you except in your marriages. 
No, it's not. You see, that's where we misunderstand what was Paul saying? What was he drawing from? What was he using when he put this structure in there? Because Jesus said, and, and what, is, what does Hebrews say? What does Paul say? Even, even Paul said it earlier in Colossians that Jesus is the exact image of God. Ephesians says, if you want to hear God's full manifestation, you want to get clear reality of what God's like, Jesus is perfect theology. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said this. He said, it shall not be so among you. Authority structures shall not happen among believers. It's not the kingdom way. Can I get an amen from a few people? Can I get an oh no from those who are like, oh my goodness. It should not be so among you. It doesn't mean that there's functions. There's functions. I mean, I pastor. I have a function. But even our function of authority and leadership, I'm here to serve. I'm here to fulfill a function. I'm not like, you know, my word is everything. Do as you're told. We don't lead that way. We do believe in servant leadership. We do believe that leadership is, is here to serve and bring out the very best in others. Because others, if you want to be great among you, let him be your servant. First among you, let him be your slave. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So then in Matthew chapter 19, talking about marriage, he said, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, say at the beginning. At the beginning. When Jesus was questioned about marriage, what did he do? He went back to the beginning. He went back to the start. Have you not heard at the beginning? He made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus said at the beginning, so you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to... We're going to go to the beginning. That's a good idea, Pastor. Let's go to Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord said, it's bad that a man be alone. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's not good. Now, I'm a little confused because in chapter 1, he created everything. And when he was finished, he said, it's good. In fact, it's very good. Say, very good. So I don't understand how he said everything's very good, and now all of a sudden, it's not good. But he did not say it's bad. But he said, it's not good. He didn't say it's not good for a man to be lonely. Because if he said man is lonely, then you have to declare that a relationship with God will not meet all your needs. Because you're walking with God in the garden and you're not satisfied and you're lonely, you got a problem. So it wasn't that he was lonely, it was that he was alone. There wasn't something exactly like him walking with him and functioning in life. So it says that God said, I'm going to take some, I'm going to get a helper comparable to him. Now, a lot of translations say he took a rib. And that's such a bad translation, because really, woman was taken from the side of man. If you read the little notes at the bottom, it basically says, take it from the side. Aren't you glad that woman was taken from the side? Not the head, not the foot, but the side. Amen? Some people think woman was taken from the head, and man's going to, like that guy on the phone. But anyways. Oh, but, you said it, not me. But where did, where did woman come from? from the side. She was already there. And she got taken. And how do you know she was already there? Because God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. And God said, go, be fruitful and multiply. What a crazy command to give a guy that could not, and I say guy because it wasn't gender specific, to give that creation to say, go forward, be fruitful and multiply if you couldn't do it. And what comes after one? Two. Where are we? Genesis 2. So we know this is after the very good creation, the very good covenant on top of man to go and fill the earth with the glory of God. Then God says, yeah, I got a better way of working this out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that female aspect out of man and I'm going to confront man with himself. I'm going to take Ish and I'm going to take Isha and I'm going to have him do this in partnership rather than himself having dominion. And you know what this will do? This will allow him to experience a much better life. Now, they use the word here, helper and comparable. The word is easer and kenedgo, all right? But helper is easer, and it means a strong help. And that word helper is, I think, 21 times in the Bible, and 15 times it's in relation to God. God is called our helper. And often it was in the context of war that God came along and he helped in a time of struggle. So it's interesting that God used that word to say that's what the woman is. And everywhere else in Scripture, it was where God came alongside as the strong partner to break the back of every enemy. 
So God's a helper, but he's not subordinate. Not subordinate. So in the same token, women were called the helper, but it doesn't mean that they were subordinate. And the word comparable, it, it, it means as in front of him. That's literally how it is. As in front of him, a perfect match and of the exact same nature. So God didn't give something that was less or more, but God gave something exactly the same that was well-suited and perfect for what God wanted to manifest in the earth. And for God to manifest himself... It had to be a full expression of a male and a female expression of what he created. Please, settle down. And in the creation account, we're created in God's image, and the purpose of that was to replicate the environment of heaven, which was a perfectly co-equal, co-essential community. And God, in creating man and woman, were creating a co-equal, co-essential, co-partner community. True. Man, that was good. Did somebody encourage us out there? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really good. It's good to be at a bit of encouragement. So I'm going to give you two basic theological views of that relationship or how we work in views of authority. Are you ready? Now, number one, egalitarian. Say egalitarian. Egalitarian. Now, if you didn't know that, this is actually what we embrace as a fellowship nationally and as an organization. This is what we embrace. Within Christianity, the theological view that not only are people equal before God in their personhood, but there are no gender-based imitations or sorry, there are no gender-based limitations of what functions or roles can fulfill in the home, the church, and in society. The Bible teaches the fundamental equality of women and men in all racial and ethnic groups, all economic classes, and all age groups based on the teachings and example of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's, that's it. The notes are actually on the website. You can download them right now. So they're all right there. So if you need So them. it's co-partnership co-equality, no hierarchy, mutual partnership, and there is no forced gender roles, and that we all have the authority and responsibility to exercise our God-given strengths at home, in the church, and in society. Amen. Now, let me give you complementarian. This is a view, another view, broadly held. More traditionalist view. More traditionalist view. The theological view that although men and women are created equal in their being and personhood, they are created to complement each other via differing roles. Everybody say roles. Roles. Roles and responsibilities as manifested in marriage, family life, religious leadership, and elsewhere. It is also known as the traditionalist and hierarchical view. So they still believe there's hierarchy, and they still believe, and there's churches in this city that write in their beliefs System that we do not allow women to be in places where they are forbidden by Scripture to be. So they believe that, that there are places where we're doing women a favor by holding them back from places of authority because that would be awful. Traditionalists would say that the problem with society today is women's uh, inability to accept or their unwillingness to accept their God-given role of submission. Uh, there's another uh, theologian, A.J. Packer, who said for a a situation to occur where a female is a boss uh, over uh, a male secretary causes great stress and strain on the human condition. That's the traditionalist view of women in leadership. And most of literature has been written, written with that slant. It really has. And uh, so when you come and you read Galatians where there's no more male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, I mean, then, but, 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 but we still do have some roles and some hierarchies. So the rabbinical code of the day that Paul's addressing, because we talked about Pax Roma, is uh, in the rabbinical code, there were statements that would go like this. It's a shame for a woman to let her voice be heard. There is no wisdom in women. Better the law be burned than give it to a woman to read. Women are perpetual menstruants, means they're always unclean. And a rabbinical prayer would be recited like this. God, I thank you that I wasn't born a woman, a Gentile, or an ignoramus. And now, so that it, prayer that you just read, that prayer is every morning and every night still. If you're a traditional uh, Orthodox Jew, that is still the prayer you pray every morning and every night. Now, it, it goes past first century when you have some of the early church fathers who would say, Tertullian would say, you are each Eve the devil's gateway. On account of your guilt, even the Son of God had to die. So it's all our fault. Uh, Clement characterized women as weak, passive, castrated, and immature. Another 
Salimbe, Mene, women was evil from the beginning, a gate of death, a disciple of the serpent, and the devil's accomplice. So these are the attitudes that informed uh, ancient Hebrew and Jews and informed even, you know, the Roman culture and Greco-Roman culture. But these are, these are respected as early church fathers that people will quote today in seminaries and other places as having sound doctrine. So these people, the culture informed what they thought, but their writings have informed what we believe. And their writings has, have informed the Christian culture today. So how are you doing so far? Good. I'm yeah. good. You're good? Yeah. Okay. Y'all okay? It's awful quiet out there. Okay, so now we're quickly just going to give you some marriage advice. How would you like some just marriage advice? Just before we do that. Just, what, what? Sorry. Um, you know, I, liked, I always like to say, uh, besides biblical, I'd like to see the empirical data that supports my assertion of what I'm trying to say. And over the past 40 or 50 years, there have been numerous studies to compare the benefits or compare egalitarian marriages uh, to those of traditional marriages. And there have been surveys that were longitudinal in that they were 20-year surveys. There was a survey done with an enriched um, uh, survey platform that studied 21,000 people or 21,000 couples with, you know, 165 background questions. And so over the last 20 years, there have been several studies, longitudinal and quantifiable, uh, to see what's better, traditional or egalitarian. And egalitarian marriages come out on top every single time. In fact, uh, the summary of all of these years of study says a significant discovery made in the relation of marital satisfaction and role relationship, discovered that 81% of egalitarian marriages or couples were happily married, while 82% of couples who were part of a traditional um, approach to marriage were unhappily married. Wow. Uh, also, the evidence supported that uh, women in traditional marriages suffered more abuse than those in uh, egalitarian marriages, and violence was more likely to occur in homes of those who support a traditional view of marriage. So, you know, you can do a lot of research and you can find plenty of empirical data that supports the fact that egalitarian marriages make for much happier marriages by, compared, by comparison. Amen. So here we go. You ready? We're going to give you a little bit of advice. All right. Just advice. All right. If you're ready. So you're on the same team. Amen. You're on the same team. You really got to be on the same team. I like, I like it. There's times I get talked to the Doovers and they say, Team Doover is doing this today. I love hearing that because it's like Team Doover is involved doing something. And I, I, that just really sparks something to me because there's people moving together and realizing that we're together in a mission. We're together doing life. We're going to do that right now. Now, I have to tell you, Cheryl wants to talk about our traditional background. So I grew up in church my whole life. I got a flat head right back here. You can feel it from sleeping on pews. It's really awesome. And I cut my teeth on a redemption hymnal. So it's really good. So that's why my teeth are so good today. I go to the dentist. The dentist says, you have amazing teeth. I said, because I cut them on a redemption hymnal. So they're beautiful teeth. But so I grew up, I grew up under the traditional view. I grew up where that's what was taught. But I want to tell you this, as much as it was taught everywhere and in the circles where I was, it wasn't what was going on at home. So I didn't, because my mom had very strong roles in the home. My mom ran all the books, even though I heard people that, you know, were, you know, authority people in my dad's life who always, and I, I knew people that because they heard that, the wives had to give the books to the husband because the husband runs the books and runs the money in the home. But my mom would say, Carl, you're going to run the books over my dead body because my dad just, you know, like you just span, span, span. So my mom, literally, she had to guard the books and she had to do those things and she took care of that and she was way better at it it than my dad. So I saw that my mom and dad had differing roles than what I was taught at church and the way they functioned and did things, that they really worked things out. They, they agreed. They struggled together to come to consensus on things. It was never my mom just going, yes, dear, all the time. So there were two passionate people involved in that relationship. So I grew up and I didn't grow up with this hierarchical structural whatsoever. Um, I, I've said many times my dad struggled with substance abuse throughout our childhood. And if it hadn't, my mom was a consistent money earner in our home. She was the one who kept the family together, made sure there was a roof over our head, made sure there was food on the table, and made sure that we paid our bills. So I grew up in a home where, uh, in, in actual, in fact, when my dad is in good form, he was the nurturer in my home. I have fond memories of my dad my hair, 
talking with me, hugging me, tucking me in, things like that. My mother never did that. She, was, she kept everything else in order. So they totally flip-flopped on what would be viewed as the traditional roles of a man and a woman in a household. So I came into marriage and I came into church with that's what shaped who I was as a person that shaped my core being. So when I came to church wanting to be the good, dutiful Christian, I wanted, and I came into a very patriarchal kind of uh, traditionalist view of a church when I got born again. And so I wanted to be a really, really good Christian. And I wanted to follow all the rules and, and do what was right. And because and, I really love Jesus. And I figured, well, they're, they're, they love Jesus. They're the bosses over me. They must know what's going on. So I'm just going to try and do this thing. But I tell you, that was hell for me. It was hard. And I mean, it was even hard. your mom, when your mom came to the church, uh, they were told that your dad, who basically spent his whole life tearing the home apart, he was now supposed to be the one who took care of the money. I thought my mom was going to lose her noodle over that She was like, had to pull back and let him do it. And she was freaking out. So it was like, Chris, you got to give up control. You're, you're embracing feminism and you've got these things of the world are on you and you need to let your husband be the head of the home and it'll be much better for you. And she's like, ah! Just, just and honestly, my dad out. didn't want that stress. Yeah, and he was like, man, he'd, he'd sit there and go like, Chris, how the heck do you balance this checkbook? Like, you got to do it, Tom. You're the head of the house now. And he's like, Rrr. and he couldn't wait to give it back to her, you know? So, so anyway, and so we he got married into in that. marriage. That was, you know, I, I had that for 20-some years of my life. That's how I was. That was my formi formative years. I come into this new community called Christianity, and I want to do everything right and obey all the commands and all the things I'm told to do. And I tried to do that. I would wake up early before Carl went to work and make him a big breakfast of bacon and eggs and clean the house and do all the things and have supper on the table. And I would... Yeah. Quit playing soccer. I didn't go Had to the her right gym. Where I wanted her. He would always remind me of a Neil song, young or a Neil, Neil Young, young song, song that went. Whenever Cheryl started giving me trouble, I would just go to the stereo and put on Neil Young, the Harvest album, where a maid, a man needs a maid. Bow, 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 a maid. That was I awful. thought I, I would punch him in awful. the head every she, time I, I heard that. I could see that. her fuming, and I was like, we're in a religious construct where you got to suck it up and do my laundry and take care of my meals, and woo! I was dying. I was literally dying. I remember one so time. So it was Team Carl, Team Carl, Team Carl. <laughs> and he you was a chauvinist, Carl, honestly. Carl. He didn't Yay. know he was a chauvinist, but he was. I, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But we came out of church six months married, and we were walking out the front door, and the pastor went, how are you guys doing? How's marriage going? I said, pretty awesome, pastor. Pretty good. <laughs> of course. And so Cheryl turns around. She says, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, she's good, pastor. It's all good. Because I'm like, we get in the car, and I said, don't do that. Because our pastor, if he even saw a hint of anything wrong, I was getting a phone call. We were having a meeting. So I'm like, man. So we got in the car. I said, Cheryl, don't do that. You know how he freaks with that kind of stuff. And, and Cheryl turned and said, well, I'm telling you, it's just okay. And I went, what the heck? I mean, wow. So I called to get her an appointment to get her straightened out to come in line. But... I realized my wife is in pain. And then when I thought about it, we sat down and talked about it, and I went, wow. You know, I married you because you're unique. I married you because you're special. I married you because when I watched you on a soccer field, you were passionate. I married you because you went after things. You taught the word. You believed the word. And suddenly, I didn't mind it at all, but you <laughs> literally came into my world, and you embraced that you're here to serve me and my destiny. And I said, that's awful. Which was a subversion of my natural love language. My natural love language is to serve. That's, I, I don't hug. I'm not a good, you know, touchy-feely person. But I express love by serving. And so I felt like this was being subverted. My natural love language was being totally subverted by this, you know, messed up hierarchical structure. Turns and I totally lost my identity. I didn't even know who I was anymore and, and who I was supposed to be inside this relationship. It's true. And you should all, love language is a great book. You should study it out. My love language is sarcasm. So you should all check that out. <laughs> it's really good. No, that's not in there, I don't think. Mine is words of affirmation. So mm -hmm. say amen.
Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that. So that's kind of the background that we came into marriage. And so I have to say there was a few years of struggle. It was. We worked it out there. We though, worked it out. Because I told Cheryl, get a membership at the club. I love that. So she got a membership. She started working out. She joined a soccer team. And I started coming home to signs on the fridge and stuff to throw in the microwave. But I didn't mind that. I enjoyed it because, you know what? I would drive then and find out where she was playing soccer. And I'd see her on the field. And she played middle half. She never stopped. She would. She just went. I would say, "That's my wife," because she was killer on a soccer field. Mm-hmm. You know, I never felt more proud than when I saw her doing what she was thrilled about and being who God called her to be. Mm-hmm. So that's special stuff. So you're on, on the, the same, same team. team. One flesh, two are better than one. First Peter three seven. You are heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, let me just show you a couple pictures, all right? Because here's some stuff you have to understand. All right. <laughs> Now, how many know that's, that the, is the, that's right the right way? way. That's, that's the, the right, right way. way. Yeah. Woo. We agree on that. <laughs> how many, who, who cares? As long as there's some there. No. Right? It's, now, look at this. No. That's not. That's just wrong. It's so much work. How about this? Oh. Yes. That's my house. You love it when you, oh, no. Cheryl! Cheryl! <laughs> Where's the toilet paper? And then here's my way. That's awesome. That's, that's how you Drives me crazy town. But you know, when I do that, what am I manifesting? I'm not on Team Thomas. I'm on Team Carl. And I'm saying, when you drop the tissue like that, what are you doing? You're saying somebody else can put it on right. Not my job. Somebody else's role. You do that stuff. I mean, that's crazy stuff. You know? That's crazy. It is crazy. You know? And when you put the dishes in the sink oh, instead stop. of the dishwasher the that is less than six enough. inches okay. away from the sink. All right. So we never do that. I don't do okay, that. I'm we're just telling on you the guys. Same we're team. on the same team. Yeah. All right. Now, what I love, though, give me that last picture. Go that, that. Now, isn't that a blessing right there? Hey? I mean, how many of you, you want it cool? She wants it hot? Hey? I mean, that's, that's my car. I'm so glad that Ford has decided that you can have independent zones for heating and cooling. So I got cool air coming. She's got hot air going. The only place we're happy is in the car. It's so good. <laughs> that's not true. Get your hand off that. Pull on another blanket. Throw off another blanket. Turn the fan up. Turn the fan down. Like, ah! But thank God in the car, we're in absolute unity. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, we're on, on the, the same, same team. team. All right, number two, we have to move along now really quickly. Honestly, if you fight against, with your husband, you're fighting against yourself. You are. Because you've become crazy. one flesh and you're on the same team. Yeah, yeah. All right, number two, celebrate differences in uniqueness. I mean, God's gone to great lengths to make you an individual. There's no one like you. You're unique for a reason. Marriage does not deaden your, deaden your unique abilities. It brings them to maturity. And that's what happened with Cheryl. Like, and I didn't mind that she was taking care of my life and waking up early, making me breakfast and shrinking my clothes in the laundry. It was awesome. You know, but, but you know what? I'm more happy when Cheryl is everything she's called to be. I am more happy when she's being and doing everything God wants her to be. I'm more happy when I can serve what God wants in her life than I am when I'm just getting my own way. So, About 15, 16, 17 years ago, we uh, embarked uh, upon a journey of discovering each other's personality. We did personality surveys, discovered each other's strengths, love language, blah, 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 blah. And so what was really great for me was that when I discovered that Carl was very, very different from me, it freed me from feeling that it was personal. So in discovering his unique gifts and talents and who God created him to be, depersonalized the tension in trying to manifest who our God-given or what our God-given talents and gifts were. So I would encourage you, if you're married, to embark upon a journey of self-discovery and discovering the person that you're in a, a covenant relationship with you and depersonalize the differences and just own them and say, thank God for them and thank God for them. That was good right there. Yeah, that was I good stuff. So. Yeah. Let's go to number three. <laughs> number three, share responsibility. There are seasons where you have to give extra. There are seasons where yeah, and there are seasons where the roles differ. They really are. Ecclesiastes four twelve. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So when you got God in the relationship, it's pretty awesome. But when Cheryl became the director of the Crisis Pregnancy Center, they decided to embark upon buying a, a new building. And when they bought that building to get it done, they had to do some renovations. And Cheryl was kind of like the the head boss, all the renovations, all the different uh, trades that came through, and she was operated the whole 
thing. And we went through a six-week period where Cheryl was gone. She would basically show up. I'd see her somehow showed up and manifest in bed beside me in the morning, but she was never around. And we went through six weeks where I did everything at home. I mean, covered the whole thing. But you know what? I didn't mind doing that because I understood that Cheryl was in a season of her calling and her gifting where it demanded actually everything from her. So I wasn't, you know, getting home and going, wow, our house is out of order. I mean, you know, you got God first and then your husband and then the family and then your career. I mean, you not being here to make me dinner, our whole house is out of order. No, we just got God first. And at that point, God was saying, Cheryl, there's a grace on you to get this thing done in six weeks. I believe that I agreed with it, but it meant that my role would shift in the marriage and I had to pick up in areas. And there's been places where it was the same thing for Cheryl, where, you know, there was demands in our life one way and another, where it flowed back and forth, where, you know, we had to share responsibility for stuff and sometimes had to share greater responsibility in different areas. Do you get that? And you share responsibility for everything. Always. Absolutely. Number four, highly value agreement. Highly value agreement. Agree together. Matthew 18, 19, I say again, can two of you agree? If you can agree on earth concerning anything they ask. I mean, anything they ask. I love that. It says that it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I love the passage I read in Peter where it says, together you're the heirs of the grace of life and your prayers will be unhindered. Mm -hmm. There's something powerful about a relationship where there's agreement and walking in agreement that there's power. There's God at work on that and really pursue agreement on everything you do. Amos 3, 3 says, can two walk together unless they agree? consensus has to be a goal you have to agree because if you don't agree then someone bears an unmerited or an undue restraint or strain of responsibility so if I was to take the hierarchical approach and you're the man in the house you make all the decisions then I've left the husband to carry a burden that wasn't really intended for him and so we have to share and share responsibility and own the decisions together in order to own the decisions together you need to agree together and no major decision should be done without consensus true complaining kills and discussion heals complaining kills and discussion heals so don't complain just get in a relationship work things out come to consensus come to agreement move together agreement there's never once in my married life where i ever had to make a decision that uh cheryl had to say well you're the boss you decide we never ever did that we've never done that once i did make decisions without cheryl's input like that time i went for milk and came back with a two thousand dollar camera that was an awesome decision when we didn't have two thousand dollars and we were not in agreement but i somehow got cheryl to agree and she agreed that i put a in a bad because spot. we share responsibility and so okay. we're in this together we're on team thomas and we share responsibility and and so together we're going to own that decision yes. but we're going to have a discussion going forward and agreement on how much we spend separately going we did. forward we changed new rules in the house at that point $200 was the max. Without permission have, and agreement. We had a discussion. So, Sue, I mean, change your app a little bit. Give Ray some room. You know, 20 bucks, <laughs> the app goes beep. I mean, that's a bit uptight. But anyways, you know, whatever works for you, though, it's all good. You know, I don't want to mess with, with uh, Sue's app. She loves those apps. Mm -hmm. Okay. Come on, stand on your feet. So, we hope we've shed some light on that controversial scripture and sometimes difficult to understand scripture. I hope so, too. I hope so. I hope so. And then just share a little bit of advice that works for us, all right? Mm -hmm. Come on, do something for me. Just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to give anybody an opportunity. If you're here and you say, wow, that was interesting, and what's that all about? I do want to say this to you, that you know what? In Christ, there's no barriers. In Christ, there's only freedom. In Christ, there's liberty. And in Christ, you are actually free to serve. You're free to be what God called you to be. You're free to manifest the goodness of God. I just want to ask you, if you've never accepted Christ or never embraced him as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you a chance to today. And I want to give you a chance to say, you know what? What I see in the community, what I see in the word, I like that. And, you know, I want to accept God. I want to I make that relationship real. And if that's you, I want you to do that today. And I'm really just simply going gonna, gonna to go one, two, three. At three, just put your hand up if that's you. Say, hey, pray for me today. I'd like to accept Christ. I'd like to align myself with this community. If that's you, just going to count to three. You ready? Listen. One, two, three. Just boom. Just throw your hand up really high so I can see it. Really high so I can see it. Anybody. Anybody. Well, I never ever want to preach or minister in any way where we don't have that opportunity. So 
I hope that was okay for you. I know that was a bit different, and Pastor Cheryl and I, we don't tag team all the time, and, uh, but I hope you got something out of that. But if you got questions or anything, I mean, email us, talk to us. I mean, this is, we want this to be more a dialogue than a monologue. So if there's something in that or, or anything, and if you want to be a complementarian and you're there, I'm, whatever conviction you have, I'm happy to bless and that's all good. And uh, we just want to share that and that position and the difficulty that that scripture has caused for a lot of people. All right. Well, Father, we love you. We bless you. Can I get those who are here to minister like at the altar today? You know, one of the things that Francis, I know Francis gave his testimony about small groups last week, and that was really good, but, you know, one of the things Francis told me a couple weeks ago is that he was really grateful for the altar, and he was really grateful that he got to come up here and people prayed for him. There were many, many times that he came to the altar, and the fact that you can get prayer at the altar was a very meaningful thing for him in this community, because so many times things got prayed for and ministered in his life that were very significant. And, you know, you may have never done that before. You may have something where you've come and you got a need or you got a burden. You need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to agree with you. I mean, that's why we have this at the end of every service, people to minister and people to pray. People that we've identified that they're qualified. They got skills and abilities that they can minister Christ to you. So if you're doing that, if you're part of the eldership team or on that ministry team, can you come now and just kind of stand around the front here and we just want to give people an opportunity for prayer, all right? Well, Heavenly Father, we bless you. We just thank you for this amazing day. We just thank you for your love for us, your goodness for us. We thank you for the way that you're redeeming and restoring and manifesting your goodness in every aspect of community. And we thank you for the freedom that's ours in Christ. We thank you that we can let the attitude be in us, which is in Christ Jesus, that we can take the low place and serve and be a blessing. And so, Father, we want to do that. So, Lord, in this beautiful summer day, as our summer's coming to a rapid close, I want to bless each one to enjoy a day today. And I pray, Father, that your love would invade everyone. Jesus, your grace would just so liberate and bring freedom to each and every one. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your fellowship would bring all of those good things into manifestation as we go and we continue to journey in you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.